Welcome to the Freddie Mac Single Family CRT Cast, a series under the Home Starts Here podcast. Now, investors have a front row seat to conversations discussing economic and housing markets, portfolio management and analytics, servicing policy and credit risk management from Freddie Mac leaders and other industry experts. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. My name is Mike Reynolds, and this is our CRT cast, our continuing attempts to use multiple mediums to reach out to our CRT market. We're going to do something a little bit different today. My guests up to this point have been external partners of ours. And what we're going to do this time is I've asked Christian Valencia, who is our vice president in charge of a single family capital market CRT. And Jeff Shu, who's our senior director for our reinsurance single-family CRT programs. I asked Jeff and Christian to join us today. I thought given the turbulence in the markets and where we are currently, it would be good to just have a very detailed Freddie Mac-heavy discussion on the state of the market. So first of all, Christian, Jeff, thank you for joining. Hi, Mike. How are you? Uh, thanks for having uh, on the call. Looking forward to discussing with you. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mike. It's uh, great to be on. You've had some pretty distinguished folks join you, including former CEOs, actually our own former CEO, Don Layton. So very honored to be on this podcast. There we go. That's right. It's been an elite list, Jeff, and now you're part of it. Glad you both were willing to do it. So we've been doing a lot of different uh, outreaches to the market, so we don't want to rehash everything. But I do think it's valuable to look back at earlier this year and just from your respective seats, what's your view on the markets going back earlier this year, the general economic impacts to CRT? Uh, Christian, why why don't we start with you? Sure. Before we start with the impact, I want to say this year, the supply has been significantly compared to any other year we've done CRT. And in the first half of the year on the capital market side, so we already reached the full uh, amount that we issued in the capital markets all of last year for just Freddie Mac. And when you combined our competitor across the river, uh, it was even more than that. We're right now first eight months of the year over 50% more in issuance combined compared to the 2021. And that has been a significant, I'd say, headwind on the capital market side, which supply has been something that investors have brought up as a major concern and which resulted in a significant widening in the spreads, in addition to some of the other issues that probably we'll talk a little bit more detail, but that has definitely been a clear technical that uh, has not impacted the fundamentals, but really we've been mostly been moving wider because of technicals related to whether it's interest rates going up, mortgage rates almost doubling uh, since the beginning of the year or already doubling at at given the latest uh, mortgage rate that has reached over 6% the first time since 2008. And then on top of that, inflation and the crisis in Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, Christian. So it, it has been quite a year, positive and negative, right? I think we've, we've had the biggest year, um, first half of a year that we've had in program history. We had uh, on the reinsurance side, you know, the, the two largest quarters we've ever printed. First quarter, um, we did two and a half billion in the first quarter. And if you go back to 
2018, 2019, that's consistent with a full year's worth of buying behavior through the ACES program. And we felt Q1 is a very strong number. And then we rolled into Q2 and and beat that with the 2.6. So by mid-year, we had 5.1 billion, putting us at the second largest annual issuance, if you will, in program history and still going, right? So last year we did 8.2 billion. Uh, We did 5.1 this year by the first half. So that's the positive, really good support from the markets year to date. They've responded very well. The negative, of course, is the uncertainty, volatility that we see in the market and the, the macro effects that we'll talk about. But I'd say this is certainly record-breaking year in terms of the deal sizes, participation. We hit an all, all-time high with 30 unique participants on a transaction. So in the history of the program, and again, this started small. You, know, you got to go back. You can go back and think about how far we've come. 2013, we executed the first ACES transaction with a single reinsurer, $75 million deal. And here we are today doing $5 billion in half of a year. So it's been a, a strong indication from around the capacity and the appetite of the market. We're, we're very comfortable and happy about the response of the market and how robust that's been. Yeah, you both covered a couple of really interesting topics. Maybe I'll just kind of go back on a few of them for a minute. Jeff, the Ukraine situation, global political instability, certainly there's a slightly different view today than there was earlier in this year, but reinsurance markets tend to be very global. So how did that impact their appetite for U.S. rising mortgage, if at all? Yeah, so you brought up the war in particular. There are sort of limited direct impacts on the participants that we have on our panels. I go back to some of the initial stories that we heard in the outbreak of the conflict in the aviation space, you know, a lot of concern about the airplanes that were grounded in Russia that had the release arrangements that were likely to be broken. And we're talking about a potential losses in the aviation space. And then in Marine, there were ships trapped in, in harbor in southern Ukraine. 150 ships was the, was the number. So there were shipping marine impacts there that hit specific reinsurers. And, you know, those are very limited. Those are very confined impacts. But generally speaking, the uncertainty created um, and the impact on global supply chain certainly creates the volatility that impacts how reinsurers look generally at something like a credit line. So there was a reassessment, I think, broadly across the market around the forward outlook and the impact of resulting inflation and uh, where interest rates were were headed and what that might mean more locally for their mortgage portfolios. You see, I think, a review of stress framework. So reinsurers taking a look at their probable maximum loss, their PMLs, um, gauging their exposure on their outstanding portfolios and looking at the broad sort of macro environment that might impact borrower repayment. So you've got things like interest rates and just general inflation creating burden on borrowers. And I think if you know, as you assess the mortgage space, clearly a new pool is underwritten to high debt to income standards, right? Or, or strong debt to income standards. 
and they're judged to be able to handle the burden associated with the debt they're taking on. For an outstanding portfolio, it's uncertain how higher inflation and what stress that might create on our outstanding portfolio and what that might mean for delinquencies, et cetera, on the portfolio. So as a reinsurer, you're doing a fundamental credit exercise where you take a look at the characteristics of the reference pool and also the macro environment for credit. I would say certainly more volatility and uncertainty baked into forward projections of how the mortgage portfolio might perform. And that has put some pressure on prices, understandably higher price requirements related to that uncertainty that's been created by global conditions. And then it it really impacts both the ACEs and stacker execution. But Christian, both of you had talked about supply, but not only was there a lot of supply, but given how the paydowns work on our structures, the sequential paydown of the issued bonds, really the biggest needs to get sourcing of new capital resulted in the B bonds, the B1s, B2s, because, you know, as the as transactions were cash flowing, they were paying off the M1s and M2s. And what, what were your views on that dynamic and how it unfolded through the first few quarters of this year? So, yeah, Mike, we issued a little over $11 billion through July, and now we're at $12 billion, So that put a lot of pressure on supply. What happened is, like you said, the M1s was where we issued $7.3 billion, uh, so far this year. And actually on the B2s, we've decreased issuance compared to last year. Last year, we issued just under $5 billion, And this year, including our most recent transaction, we're at $1.7 billion. So every time that we go to market and try to sell B2s, that's new capital that needs to come into the space. Well, when we are selling them once, there's some pay downs. And on top of that, we've started doing tenders. So we started last year, um, we and this year we've done already three tenders, close to $5 billion on bonds that we bought back. That was money that investors were able to use to offset some of the money that was being uh, required from them. So we, we saw money, you know, market funds and money managers having redemptions from investors and by selling more of the top of the stack that money can get reinvested and, and by the tenders probably we, we help to reduce the amount of money that the investors had to sell or bonds that they had to sell in order to get cash our product trades a lot we trade between Two and four billion a month in CRT, and that's that two to four billion is uh, due because these bonds are deemed to be liquid. If, if they need cash, investors are able to find other in- investors that see these as being very attractive investments, especially as the spreads have widened. That that's one of the reasons we've seen a record number of investors in the space this year. 139 investors that have been participating in the primary market. Last year was 106. So we're talking about an increase of over 30%. Also deal by deal, we've seen an increase on average this year of around 58 investors compared to 49 last year. So the significant volume, the spreads have resulted in a lot more investor demand. Uh, However, that has also resulted in spreads widening by 
quite a bit. Uh, the B2 at the beginning of the year and our first deal was a 700 spread. The DNA5 B2, we priced at 1290. So almost doubling spreads, which uh, also resulted in us to make a decision to stop issuing B2s and B1s uh, for third quarter and understanding what you just mentioned that you know, that's new capital that needs to come to the space. And we've seen some some new type of investors across the stack, particularly the insurance companies at the top and then more private equity or, or whole loan buyers at the bottom of the stack. There's no easy attribution of why you're seeing such demand from new investors coming in. Like Those are new types, heavier insurance monies you had mentioned, overall numbers are up. Clearly, there's a function you know, tied to spreads, right? Wider spreads make the asset class uh, more attractive from a buyer perspective, or obviously it makes it more expensive from an issuer perspective. But also, we've had all these fundamental views. So what are you hearing in the marketplace in terms of how's the market responding to rising rates? What are outlooks on home prices? Rising rates certainly have impacted the purchase mix. So how have the capital markets customers been reacting to that? Sure. Uh, one of the key th- things is, you know, prepayment speed. So long bonds are longer, and with the change in the structure, uh, with the five-year call that we implemented at the end of last year, those bonds uh, have more volatility because sometimes what happens and what we hear is that when they rally, they rally like a five-year bond, but when uh, things widen, they they widen more like uh, you know, longer bonds with. Uh, expectation of 10 to 15 years uh, at some cases. From a house price perspective, we are starting to hear more conversations about what happens on a flat to potentially down scenario on home prices. Still, the main concern is more of a macro environment, not necessarily a housing environment because some of the supply demand uh, housing fundamentals are still strong. But there's now hearing that there's certain markets, uh, particularly more recently uh, on the West Coast, where there's uh, some house declines that could impact the housing and, and what potential losses could come through. But that has been less of a concern so far. It's more about uh, longs uh, being much longer and, and what would happen for supply for going forward, because we this year supply has been uh, mainly a, a big concern. But how much would CRT issuance come once we get to the uh, first, you know, July, August, September origination periods, which are expected to come significantly lower? Yeah, you, you mentioned supply. I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that part. The housing supply dynamics uh, are still very very strong, right? That, that was your first point. Most economists view the U.S. market as being underbuilt, uh, having not fully recovered. Uh, from the Great Recession uh, compared to the household formation being driven by millennials and Gen Z. But then secondarily, the CRT issuance supply is also dwindling. We've kind of made it through our biggest year. As rates rise, total origination volumes are going down. I think maybe there might be a little bit of an offset with an anticipated, and it's, and it's all tied to a formula, uh, but it's not official, but an anticipated increase in the conforming loan limits as the home price appreciation leading up till now makes the average loan size increase. So that, that could be a little bit of an offsetting factor, but generally the view going forward is less originations and therefore there'll be less CRT tied to that. 
So, you know, turning to you, Jeff, similar questions to you. Uh, how have reinsurance markets viewed the macro environment, home prices? Uh, and then relatedly, you know, you had mentioned 30 unique insurance markets. Is there any comments on what's been driving that expansion of participation? Yeah, and I think it's um, a lot of it uh, due to the sheer magnitude of the opportunity, right? the GSE um, demand, if you will, is three times what it was just a couple, you know, two years ago. Um, so you've got a, a very large opportunity in CRT where you've got two massive buyers with highly standardized portfolios bringing strong credit attributes to the market. And I would note a few things. You know, we, we had a lot of uncertainty in the outbreak of COVID with very high delinquency expectations initially. Uh, the question around how GSEs would respond from a loss mit standpoint, loss mitigation standpoint, what tools would be brought to bear to help address the stress created by the pandemic. And I think the clear lesson there, you've seen support for borrowers that has been effective and really worked to keep losses in a manageable range and get borrowers through a troublesome time. There was uncertainty. I think if you're, you know, as a reinsurer, looking at the response that the GSEs had, it's very um, supportive of continued appetite. So you've got this large demand driven by the tail of the refi wave and coming into the year with some very clear signals that COVID wasn't going to produce or hadn't been producing the losses that some had feared. And, and also continued very strong HPA growth, as we were saying. And it's justifiable HPA based on where we stand from a supply demand standpoint, as you said, Mike. So I think that has all been very supportive. We've added several new uh, reinsurers this year. The panel participation's been really strong. The supply for reinsurance is there. So there's good participation. The outlook for house price, I know Moody's is, is roughly flat um, outlook. You have some deceleration, I think, uh, is what most are calling for. And that position, the equity position of borrowers is, is very strong. So it would take very severe stress, I think, to, to really start to make a, a dent um, or to turn the general attitude towards mortgage credit really strong going into the end of the year and what I'm hearing about reinsurer appetite for the, for the coming year. And as we are wrapping up the year, Jeff, what are some of your thoughts and what are you hearing from the markets in terms of Q4 outlook and participation? Reinsurers are, are cu very curious this time of year to know what we have planned for the remainder of the year and for uh, 2023. This is a time where you know there are board meetings ongoing and risk committees and um, underwriting committees, assessment of what's needed in terms of mortgage capacity for the coming year. I think it's clear. I think the consensus is an expected continued decline in volumes. What we're seeing, I would note, in the high LTV space, since it, it didn't have as much of a run-up um, as low LTV. So when I say that, I mean the 80 to 97, the, the HQ series or the SPH series on the ACES side. It's actually held in volume a little bit more than we thought, but it will. I think the expectation will be it'll also be coming down. Low LTV, we've seen some pretty rapid decreases, and so you'll see that in our deal sizes. 
we've been issuing deals in the six, seven, eight hundred plus million range, and I expect that to moderate um, along with overall volume. So for the remainder of the year, we're busy just about every month. We've got a deal on the market right now. I expect that we'll have at least one per month through the end of the year, and it will likely result in about two billion. That's what I'm estimating for the remainder of the year, and that'll put us in the upper seven billion range total for the year. So for next year, TBD. But as we said, I, I think we'd expect reference pool sizes to be coming down, and uh, so likely a, a smaller bogey for next year, but still very um, substantial. And I, and I'll just note since we're on a podcast, we're doing this recording in uh, mid September of twenty two. So Christian, how about for you? What are your views on Q4 and uh, what are your expectations from, you know, what are the things that the markets will be focused on in this final quarter of the year? Sure. Uh, so Mike, we, we still have one more deal in Q3 to start with that that's going to come up before the end of September. And then we have one deal per month for the rest of the year. So that puts us at four transactions. We're at 12 billion right now. We're going to end up somewhere between around 15 billion, which that would be uh, a you know, 40% roughly uh, increase compared to last year uh, on the capital market side, significantly more than any. Uh, and, and if you look at the next largest year, that would be a 50% or more. Um, from there, it's one of the things that I think investors are are looking at is we stopped issuing bees in the third quarter. Will we come back with bees in the fourth quarter? And and that would be a determination of where spreads are and our view of that that risk. So we'll we'll make decisions on that on a deal by deal basis. At this point, the other thing is what does the home price environment look like? Because we've started to hear, you know, from some of the research that's going on from the dealers of a, of a flattish type environment for the rest of the year or, or slightly down then going into next year there's still views i would say from plus five to minus five uh, kind of range uh, going forward but like jeff said our expectations are that the reference will become smaller deals would be more looking like the deals that we should in 2019 2020 uh, somewhere uh, probably between half a a billion to a billion instead of deals that have almost reached $2 billion, you know, in the first half of the year when we move on to 2023. Right. And as always, any views that we're expressing related to a calendar are all subject to market conditions at that time. So speaking of time, we need to wrap up, but uh, Christian, anything, any final thoughts or takeaways that you want to give our listeners? What I would say is we do expect to see our high LTV, like Jeff said, that, that would be a, a bigger part of our total, potentially getting close to about a half of originations. I think CRT will be beneficial for Freddie Mac. It allows us to manage the risk. And we are going to see a positive to the sector in next year as there's going to be all these dollars and all these new accounts that have been buying CRT over the last year chasing a smaller amount of bonds. So I think the investors that have purchased CRT can potentially benefit from spread uh, tightening into next year. I like that outlook. How about, how about you, Jeff? Any final thoughts? Um, yeah. So we've used um, a, a couple of times this year, we've gone to the reinsurance market with 
some innovations or we've gone out this year with our first cash out refi specific transaction. And we've also shifted more of what we do, more of our business through forward transactions. So innovation in the midst of massive volume and standard deals, along with, I guess, what we would call the fog of uncertainty and global conditions, et cetera. I think that's good signal around the strength of the appetite there that we're able to introduce some new things and still hit large targets for our uh, overall standard program. So it says to me that we can expect continued good support, strong support from the markets, even in the midst of some, some uncertainty and volatility. And going into the coming year, I think we're well positioned with the reinsurers as a partner. So I think we're looking forward to being out on a regular basis again um, throughout 23. Great. Well, thank you, Jeff. And uh, thank you, Christian. Thanks both for taking the time to do the podcast. And uh, thank you for all the great work that you're doing for Freddie Mac. It really is a pleasure to work with both of you and your teams. And thank you, all your listeners. And uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. And as always, we hope you found this uh, helpful and educational in terms of your understanding the CRT markets. Looking forward to next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Freddie Mac's CRT Cast, a series under the Home Starts Here podcast. Stay tuned and subscribe to catch additional interviews with key industry leaders and experts. Home Starts Here is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you rating, reviewing, and sharing with your network. <laughs>